No uterus, no opinion. Let's talk about that. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys. Cam, it's good to see you again, my friend. Oh, it is good to be back in these wonderful days of summer. It is good to hear your voice, good to see your face because I'm, I'm looking at you on a Zoom call so that we know who's going to say what next. Um, it is good to be back. It's good to be back for this episode on manliness and men being involved in the pro-life movement and why, if and why, I, I guess we're asking the question, can men be involved in the pro-life movement? Hopefully we're going to come to the answer that men can be involved. If if we don't, then I guess this is going to be a short podcast, but um, I'm excited to dive into this with you. Yeah, I'm excited as well. You know, at some point we should probably get together. You're in Calgary, I'm in Ontario. It would be really sweet if you came here or I came there and we recorded a few episodes together. Or we could go meet halfway and, and our friends, Maddie and Kyle, would be pretty pleased with that. Uh, we'd be able to be reunited with them. But it'd be pretty cool to, to do some episodes together at some point in the same studio. That would be super cool. Um, I'm sure that would only help the, the sweet vibes going on between you and I. And after we're done recording, we could go fishing. My, my parents were in town last week and my dad brought out a fly fishing rod. And so I'm learning how to fly fish. I don't know if you fly fish at all, but I know that you haul in some pretty darn big fish. And so I'm hoping that... Between the two of us, we got a couple of rods, maybe we'll get a couple of fish and, and all that after the, the incredible work of doing the podcast. Yeah, I love fishing, but I've never fly fished in my life. So that would be good. It'd be good to learn. Do it. Come on out to Calgary. The Bow River in Calgary is one of those global hotspots for fly fishing. Uh, we'll meet in, in Manitoba. We'll do some spin casting with Kyle. We'll go out your neck of the woods and do some trolling or whatever the heck you do in your big lakes out in Ontario. We'll do some fly fishing out here in Calgary. Sweet. Well, everyone, if you're new to the show, welcome to the Pro-Life Guys. We are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of pre-born children in Canada. And this is a podcast dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives from abortion. We're so thankful that you're joining us. We've been hearing some pretty good feedback lately, uh, haven't we, Cam? I know I've uh, heard from people in the United States and Canada, which thankfully we've been hearing pe from people in Canada because, I mean, we have colleagues in Canada and, and hopefully they're listening as well uh, to every episode. But uh, we've had people share our content in Ireland. We've heard from people in the UK so extremely thankful about that. If you're listening uh, to this episode, if you listen to the podcast, let us know where you're listening from. It'd be pretty cool for us to learn where it is that you are, where you're listening from. And uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be really sweet for us. If you're in Canada, let us know. If you're from some country that is totally in a complete remote part of the world in comparison to Canada, let us know. We'd love to hear. Totally. 
we, we would love to hear where you're coming from. And not only because we want to know um, who's learning about how to have good conversations, but also because we'd love to help you connect with a local activism and outreach group, right? That there's a ton of groups all the way across Canada that are doing effective pro-life outreach. There's groups around the world that we've had the great pleasure of working with. And so if you're tuning in from, like Peter said, some country in Europe, some South American country, wherever it is that you're tuning in from, we probably know a group of people doing some pretty sweet street outreach for pro-life um, causes, changing minds, saving lives. And we want to help connect you with this information and through this information, help you join those people on the street so that you can join them in changing minds and saving lives. That's what this is all about. It's not just about building your arsenal. It's about giving you the tools that you need and using that arsenal, getting out on the street and having those conversations with everyday people. Yeah, that's right. I, I just want to do a quick shout out to Eric. What what platform was this on that Eric sent us this comment, Cam? This was on iTunes. Um, he gave us a five-star rating and left a pretty sweet comment that we super appreciate. Yeah, yeah, Eric, thank you so much. This is what he writes. Hey guys, what a great show. Love the insight and knowledge being shared. This is a podcast not only for pro-life supporters, but also for anyone on the fence or even pro-choice. You'll learn factual and interesting evidence-based points that you certainly don't hear in the mainstream media. I love the case study done on episode two and the facts presented. Shocking evidence presented, really. Keep it up. A must-listen for everyone. Eric, thank you so much. And we want to we wanna really emphasize that point as well, that this is a podcast where we want to share with you how to be better pro-life activists and advocates but this, this podcast is not just for you if you're pro-life. If you're on the fence, if you're pro-choice, this is a podcast for you as well. We want to dialogue with you. We want to, you know, have an honest conversation about what abortion actually is. I actually heard from a former colleague of mine, a good friend, who said that this podcast was passed on to someone who is pro-choice. So if you're listening to this right now, you know, we don't want to be hostile to you. Hopefully we're uh, respectful throughout. But this is for you as well, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and for anyone who wants to contact us in any way, um, letting us know where you're listening from, you can do that by commenting on our episodes on the podcast platform you're listening to on social media, Facebook or Instagram, or, or on our website at www.prolifeguys.com. All right, Cam, you mentioned it earlier. Let's dive right in. We're two men in the movement. You know, we have different roles in the movement. We've been in the movement for different lengths of time. But we are both here fighting abortion. We've been doing it collectively for, what, 16 years, 17 yeah. years? Yeah, close uh, to that. Yeah, having having thousands of conversations. And we often hear things like, yo, do you have a uterus? You don't have a uterus? That's right. You You have no opinion in this conversation. You're a man. Like, who are you to tell me what you should do with a woman's body? Have you ever heard anything like this, Cam? Oh, man, most days that I'm out doing activism, I, I was out, what was it, um, a couple days ago, and we were doing one of our choice chain displays showing abortion victim photography. And this dude walks by and he walks straight past the, the gorgeous young woman that I'm, I'm partnered up with. She's having conversations. He walks right past her, stares me in the eye and says, men shouldn't have an opinion on abortion and keeps walking by. And, you know, what? if you don't want to talk to me because I'm a dude, he, he could have stopped and talked to this other wonderful volunteer. Um, but for some reason, he thought that, that was a conclusive argument, that he could maintain his stance on abortion because men shouldn't have an, uh, an opinion on abortion. I've heard that in a ton of other stuff. 
Yeah, speaking of conclusive arguments, in the first week that I created our Instagram page, if you're not following us on Instagram, find us the Pro Life Guys podcast at Pro Life Guys. There was this this guy that sent me a photo, which was a, a flow chart, and it had that question over overhead: Do you have a uterus? And there was a a yes arrow and a no arrow. The no arrow said "f off." The yes arrow said, "Is the fetus inside your uterus?" And again, there was a no ar- arrow and a yes arrow. The no arrow said F off, and the yes arrow said you get to choose what happens. Um, and that that was, you know, he, he thought that was a completely reasonable photo to send, a completely reasonable argument that really, um, if I thought about it deep enough, would have uh, used it to shut down my account and to never think about this podcast again. Uh, unfortunately, we're still here. Um, so, Cam, we, we get this all the time. Uh, we have people say this all the time on university campuses, on college campuses, downtowns, wherever you might be, on our social media comments or in our inboxes. But the question we need to ask is, are they right? Should we be looking for new jobs? Should we peace out from the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, the organization we're working for, leave it to the women to have these conversations and go do something else with our lives? It, is this what we should be doing? Not at all. I I think that there's a very clear case that we're going to outline today as to why men and women together should be working hand in hand, shoulder by shoulder, having conversations and changing minds. I do not think that it has any bearing on your claim to to an opinion, one side or the other, whether or not you're a man or a woman. I, I think that's completely ridiculous to suggest that your gender can somehow dictate whether or not you can engage in a conversation about human rights and who should get human rights. And we're going to show step by step why it is that we can come to this conclusion with absolute confidence that certainly we need all kinds of voices in the pro-life movement. We need women. We need men. We need young. We need old. We need everybody advocating for who are Quite clearly, as we talked about in each and every episode, literally the weakest and most vulnerable members of society. I mean, why, why are our voices necessary at all? Why can't preborn children just defend themselves? Because they are absolutely vulnerable. Because they are not old enough to engage in any um, defense of their own lives. I, I think often of a, of a situation that came up, it was actually a, a conversation that a reporter was having with a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. And and the question was, was the Rwandan genocide the worst injustice in history? And she thought about that for a moment. And obviously, it's difficult to really put your finger on what the most horrific injustice in all of of history um, really was. But she actually responded very eloquently and, and fairly quickly as well, saying, no, abortion is the worst injustice in all history. Because in Rwanda, my family could run, my family could hide, my family could fight back. A preborn child can do none of that. That's why I think it's absolutely necessary that men, women, everybody is involved. And we're going to go through point by point, Peter, you and I, as to how we can articulate to that, that point itself to people who challenge us, whether we're talking to people at one of CSPR's activism events or whether we're simply having conversations with friends or family. Yeah, for sure. So... Let's say that uh, that guy that that said, uh, you know, you shouldn't be here. You're a man actually stopped, had a conversation with you. Where would you go? Where would you start this conversation? What, what would be one of the first things that you would do to engage him on that particular that, uh, that topic, that point? 
Well, the first thing that I'll say is I where I'd be tempted to go. Um, an incredible mentor of mine. So Jojo Ruba, one of the co-founders of CCBR. He's running a group called Faith Beyond Belief now. He's an incredible guy. I've heard him respond with eloquence. And I just don't think that I can pull it off. He often responds by kind of poking fun at that statement, by just challenging did you just assume my gender? Men can have abortions. And, and kind of exposing this hypocrisy, this, this snake eating its own tail and choking on its own tail that on, on one side of the, the spectrum where we're hearing that men can't have an opinion on abortion and on the other side of the spectrum, we're, we're seeing that, oh, people claiming that men can become pregnant and that you can't assume people's gender and all that kind of stuff. And so the temptation that goes through my mind, and I'm sure that it goes through the mind of some of our listeners is... Did you just assume my gender? What are you saying? Are, are you saying that I can't become pregnant because many people on your side of this movement would actually claim that I could become pregnant and, and that kind of thing? And, and so that's a temptation that um, that goes through my mind. But I, I really don't think that that I can pull it off. I, I don't think that's a meaningful conversation in in for a few reasons, most of which is because it can distract from the issue of abortion. Right? There's so many different issues that, that can and, and arguably should be tackled at some point. But the temptation of that can lead you into a conversation about gender identity and whether or not there are actually only two genders or whether there's this, this alphabet soup out there sort of thing. And what, obviously that conversation needs to be had, but should it be had during the context of pro-life outreach? And I, I really don't think that it should be because it distracts us away from a very, very simple premise that all human beings should get human rights and building on that, that human rights must begin when the human's life begin. And so I would actually encourage people to not um, succumb to that temptation and, and go down that path. One, one question that I find really fascinating to throw to people, and it's not a conclusive rebuttal or anything like that, but I, I challenge people on the, what they really mean by, if you don't have um, a uterus, then you can't have an opinion asking, what do you think about guys that agree with abortion? What do you think, do you, do you think guys should be able to advocate in, fa in favor of the quote-unquote reproductive rights? And I asked that, in, and time after time after time, people respond to that by saying, yeah, oh, oh, it's absolutely essential that men defend the rights of women and uphold these reproductive rights and encourage them and support them in whatever choice they want for their body. And then I just let that hang for a moment. I, I just kind of pause and, and then I try to show the foolishness in that answer with charity, obviously, but try to show them that what you're saying is that I can't have an opinion as a guy unless I agree with you. That I can't have an opinion on abortion unless I think abortion is great, which, which, which is nonsensical. I mean, and that doesn't only come against fellows. That, that goes against um, the women, that, that the incredible women that volunteer and work with us at CCBR and, and community groups across the country. And sometimes they said, oh, well, you can't have an opinion because clearly you've been brainwashed by um, cisgender Caucasian men or whatever. And, and just how nonsensical it is to say you can't have an opinion because your opinion is different than mine. Absolutely bonkers that people would actually hold on to that but I think that we can go even deeper. Is that something that you talk about in conversation at all, Peter? Or do you just cut to the chase on the actual reasons why men can have an opinion and not kind of mess around with this idea of 
consider the words that you're saying, the actual position that you're holding and how nonsensical it is. Do you, do you dive into that or do you just kind of cut straight to the chase and, and tackle what we're going to get into next, I'm sure, about standing up for human rights? Yeah, no, I, it certainly depends on the context and the conversation. If the person looks like uh, they're, they're willing to have a conversation for a few minutes, then there are times when I do, I do ask that question. Yeah, like, what do you think about men who advocate for abortions? Like, are they the only ones who should have an opinion on abortion? Are they the only ones who should be allowed to speak about abortion? And just show a bit of the inconsistency in that position. But like you've mentioned and you referenced earlier, and we've talked about it on the program before, we want to get to the, the crux of the, the issue. We want to get to the question that's at the heart of the debate, which really is, what is abortion? And to know that, we need to know who are the preborn. And if, if, for those of you who have listened to episode number two, we talked about who the preborn are and when human life begins. Uh, six, 90, what was it? 96% of 5,577, I believe, biologists affirmed that human life began at fertilization, that at fertilization, a unique human being came into existence and began forming and developing. And people might say, well, you know, they don't get human rights until they're done developing, which for people who, for if you know about human development, uh, the brain doesn't stop developing until, what is it, roughly 25 to 27 years of age? I, I hope it's later than that. I hope that my brain is still developing. I'm, I'm 30 and I hope that my brain's still developing because there's a lot of stuff that I need to know that I don't already, but, but I know what you're getting at. Yeah, so, so every point from fertilization till that stage, uh, 25 for most of us, 35 for Cam, uh, <laughs> is, is, is a stage of development. It's unique, they are unique stages of development. And to say that we're allowed to end the life of a human being at any particular stage is simply arbitrary. It makes a lot more sense to uh, say that human rights or that the right to life should begin when the human being begins. And so what we're talking about here is a human rights issue. We're not just talking about uh, a different medical procedure that people have every single day. It's not like a, you know, a kidney dialysis or anything like that. Now, none of us are against uh, a kidney dialysis or, or that sort of procedure, but let's, let's think about a procedure that uh, is a little bit more controversial. Now, you might be someone who is wholly and completely against a procedure like plastic surgery. You might have very strong opinions on it. You might uh, have a good argument about why people at certain ages or certain stages of life shouldn't get plastic surgery or why they should be allowed to get plastic surgery. So um, you, you have a strong opinions. Uh, perhaps you're against plastic surgery and you're against abortion. Are you against these for the same reason? Um, is it just a, a procedure that is between you and your doctor? Is it just a procedure that would alter your life uh, just a little bit and really does affect no one else? Or are they completely different? And when we look at what abortion is, when we look at the fact that abortion ends the life of a young and developing human being, and not just ends the life as in, you know, we remove the fetus from the, um, we remove the fetus from the womb. And because of that, the fetus dies because they're in an environment that they can't grow and survive in at this stage in their development. No, it's not that at all. What we're talking about is uh, death by suction. Uh, or we're talking about death by being torn apart, or we're talking about death by poison, different abortion procedures that are used to end the life of a human being. So you might be against plastic surgery uh, for some very good reasons. You might be against some other medical procedures for some very good reasons, but none quite so much like abortion, 
which we know is a human rights violation. A plastic surgery is not a human rights violation. Uh, most libertarians would say that, uh, you know, a plastic surgery is, is a plastic surgery. You're doing it to yourself. You're affecting no one else. So you should be allowed to do it. And some libertarians might say the same thing about abortion. But uh, that, as we know uh, from science, as we know from uh, philosophy, as we know from uh, the intellectual arguments that, we, that we've learned and that we hope to continue to share on this program, abortion is not like that. Abortion is ending the life of a human being. It's an, it's an injustice. So a question, I guess, is, Cam, should we be allowed to or, or should we um, not just be allowed to, but should we stand up for someone else? I mean, I'm, we're not preborn. Uh, it's been a, a long time since we've been preborn uh, human beings. Uh, but should we be allowed to stand up for them? I mean, are there examples throughout history of people who have stood up for other people in different demographics and in different uh, areas and experiences of life? Oh, absolutely. I, I, and I think that you hit the nail on the head, right? That that this comes down to a direct and intentional injustice against a, a weak and vulnerable human being. And, and throughout history, we have seen time and time again that those who are strong, those who are powerful, have victimized those who are weak. And... Well, I mean, obviously, throughout history, we've seen people defend their own rights when that isn't sufficient, when defending their own rights because of the power complexes in society, when that is ineffective or insufficient in securing their own rights, when, when it isn't a fair fight, when there is a, an imbalance in power and, and strength and that kind of thing, there have been courageous men and women who have stood up to defend the rights of those who are victims in spite of the fact that they themselves are not a victim at all. And, and one guy that I have so much appreciation for, and I, I love learning about him, a guy named Jim Zwerg. So a lot of people are familiar with the civil rights movement, right? Um, 20th century, um, largely throughout um, United States of America, largely um, the, the hotspots in states like Mississippi and Alabama and that sort of thing. So Jim Zwerg, is is a Caucasian dude, born in Wisconsin, a, a place that really I'm, I'm sure wasn't necessarily a hotbed for um, racial violence and injustice. I'm, I'm sure that there was racial violence and injustice happening there, but it, I'm sure that compared to places like Montgomery and um, Atlanta and and Georgia and all the Atlanta, Georgia and and all these other places that that it really wasn't at the same magnitude there. And yet Jim's work through his church involvement really learned about this injustice and realized that even as a Caucasian dude of European descent, that he had a voice and that he had an obligation to defend and protect those who were weak and vulnerable. He, he learned a lot more when he went away to university and he realized that the fraternity that he had pledged to wasn't going to accept another guy that was a friend from class because he was a black man. And this prejudice pervaded his life and he saw it more and more and more frequently in his time at university. And he was still doing university up in, in the Northern States. Like he wasn't even seeing the worst of the, the racial violence that was happening, the public lynchings and crazy, crazy stuff that was happening throughout America. And so he decided to get involved with a group that was doing what was called justice rides. These were groups of, of students largely that would load up in these big passenger buses and drive from the Northern States to the Southern States 
they would largely organize themselves such that um, the black students were sitting at the front of the bus, the white students were sitting at the back of the bus. They would do um, large presentations and demonstrations and and rallies and marches and that sort of thing. But it was a statement to um, the absurdity of the Jim Crow laws and 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 the violence that was going on directed towards these black people. He himself had never endured that violence. And in all likelihood, he never would have endured any kind of violence if he had kept his head in the sand and never engaged. And yet Jimsburg realized that he had an obligation, that in seeing an injustice, he had to make a difference. Um, a quote here, I'm, I'm sure that I'm paraphrasing in, in some capacity, but, but a quote that I think guided him and, and should be guiding us is, if we see an injustice, then what difference does it make who I am? Anyone can fight an injustice. And so he endured savage beatings on these justice rides. I, one of them that is very thoroughly documented is this time that they had a police escort um, down into a city in the southern states. I don't remember exactly what city it was, um, but they showed up and the police in that town had told the white racists that they were going to get half an hour of violence and abuse towards the protesters on the justice rides before they were going to show up and shut everything down. And so they saw this angry mob of people waiting for them at the bus terminal and Jim's word courageously got up and was the first one off the bus. And they savagely beat him within inches of his life. There's pictures of him sitting in a hospital bed, black eyes and bloodied limbs and bruises all over himself. And this is something that that he was willing to endure, not because he himself had ever been a victim of injustice, but because he recognized an injustice and had to do something about it. And he's not the only one, right, Peter? Like, like he's an incredible example, somebody that I would totally encourage all of our listeners to check out and, and look at his example of courage and grace in his interviews and humility and all that kind of stuff. But he's not the only one, right? No, no, he's certainly not. But before we, um, before I mention a, a list uh, just some of the others that uh, that we've thought of. Let me just share this one quote um, that he had mentioned in an interview to highlight the character of, of Jim's work. Phenomenal, really. This is what he says, and I quote, There was nothing particularly heroic in what I did. If you want to talk about heroism, consider the black man who probably saved my life. This man in coveralls, just off of work, happened to walk by as my beating was going on and said, Stop beating that kid. If you want to beat someone, beat me. And they did. He was still unconscious when I left the hospital. I don't know if he lived or died. End quote. That's, that's the quote he gave in an interview. Uh, he's standing up for the rights of these African-Americans. He's not, as you mentioned, Cam, he's not experiencing what they're experiencing. He's not feeling what they're feeling. Uh, he's standing up for them. And he calls himself not a hero. Who is a hero is the one who stood up and tried to save his life. Uh, and he really, he didn't know what happened to that guy afterwards. But yeah, there certainly are people throughout history that we look to and admire, uh, heroes of us, of ours, who have done a lot of great work, not just fighting for themselves, not just fighting for their rights, but fighting for the rights of other people. I think of Oscar Schindler. I don't know if you guys have uh, watched the movie Schindler's List or perhaps read the book. Phenomenal. Uh, totally recommend 100%. Uh, we th we can think of William Wilberforce. We've mentioned him on the program before. I'm sure we'll mention him again. A lot of CCBR strategies originated from 
uh, William Wilberforce and the movement to abolish the slave trade in the 18th century. A uh, good book on that is by uh, Eric Metaxas called Amazing Grace. Pick it up. Super good. Uh, I also think uh, of Irina Sendler. I don't know, Cam, have you watched the movie The Courageous Heart of Irina Sendler? Oh, man. Absolute tearjerker. So, so beautiful how this Polish woman who, again, was not herself within the line of fire, as it were, of the Nazi regime, um, but she was willing to go into those camps day after day and rescue these orphans, rescue these children, and put herself at risk. And and not not the kind of risk that you and I endure, Peter, right? Like, like we... All, all that we're risking, all that most people within the pro-life movement right now are risking is some kind of social, um, we, we call it social martyrdom, but even that is, is a, a bit of a stretch, right? Like, like we might have a few people delete us off Facebook. We might have some people shout some things out their window at us while we're doing our displays. We might have some people even go so far as to throw an egg at us. But people like Irina Sendler going out on the limb to save people that, again, she wasn't related to, wasn't directly impacted. She could have turned a blind eye towards, and yet she risked her very life. That, that if she was caught, um, as, as I believe she was towards the end of her, her time, that, that um, she was risking her very life to do that for some group of people that weren't even within her demographic. It's absolutely incredible. And similar to that quote from Jim's word, many of these people, didn't characterize themselves as heroic people, that they were simply doing the basic, decent human act of protecting those who weren't able to protect themselves, right? Yeah, that's right. Cam, is uh, is our, The Courageous Heart of Arena Sandler, the movie, uh, mandatory viewing in the Calgary internship? It is by us. So every year the interns watch it by us. Um, I'm planning an internship right now and, and it's, it's in the schedule. So is it for you guys as well? It, it has been. There, there's a bunch of different movies that we cycle through. Um, a couple that, that we mentioned here that we, we'll cycle through that one. We'll do Schindler's List and, and talk about how this guy who was protected in many ways um, from the violence of the, the Nazi regime. Um, we'll, we'll watch Hotel Rwanda sometimes. And, and this um, courageous guy who, again, was not going to be victimized necessarily by um, the Hutu um, genocidal maniacs. And yet was willing to to risk his life as well. So we we cycle through a few of them, but it's definitely very high up there on the list of of resources, movies and books and otherwise that we definitely encourage all of our interns to read because these are the footsteps that we are asking people to follow in. Right? That that it it might seem a little bit daunting and and overwhelming to follow in the footsteps of these great name leaders that that I mean are now we got boulevards and and stadiums and national awards and all this kind of stuff named after them. We it may be a bit daunting to follow in the footsteps of a Martin Luther King Jr. or an, even an Oscar Schindler, but yeah, people like Irina Sendler, a quote unquote humble nurse, somebody who is just doing work day after day after day to defend the weak and vulnerable. Those are people that we very much can model our lives and model our involvement in today's injustice right after. Yeah. Another person that just came to my mind is Irene Opdyke as well, a Polish nurse uh, who aided Polish Jews persecuted by Nazi Germany. And there are so many men and women like this who have defended those who were facing injustice that they weren't. And, and that's the thing. The message that we often get when people are saying no uterus, no opinion or anything along those lines is this. If you're not directly involved in a particular decision or in whatever it might be, 
then you can't have an opinion. And I don't think any of those people who say that to us would uh, be consistent in that and say, because you're not black, Cam, you can't stand up for racial justice. Because you're not a woman, you can't stand up for the right to vote uh, when that was an issue back in the day. I I don't think they would. And I really appreciate that quote that you said a little bit earlier. If we see an injustice, then what difference does it make who I am? Anyone can fight an injustice. And so if you're a man, you're listening to this, you're wondering if you should be involved in the pro-life movement, you've been involved for a while and you're like, oh man, all this hate. Here's the thing. If we see an injustice, then whether you're a man or a woman or a child, it is up to us to stand up for injustice. If you're a child, uh, do it with your parents or guardians' permission. Uh, (laughs) Don't say that the pro-life guys gave gave you permission to go to your parents or your guardians. Uh, But anyone can fight an injustice for sure. Totally. And, and I think it's it's worth looping back to something that I mentioned earlier is that sometimes we feel like, you know what, we, we just need women out there because they won't come under any kind of backlash. That, that men go out there and they divert the conversation away from the preborn and towards their genitalia and all that kind of stuff, and whether their genitalia should have an impact in this conversation. Speaking from experience and from witnessing the interactions that so many of my incredible female colleagues have endured, they're going to find something to attack anybody over, right? Because this is a threat to their worldview. This is a threat towards their access to abortion. And yes, it might seem like easy arsenal for them to come after me for being a man and somehow delegitimize my my opinion, my voice, my role in this conversation. But let's not pretend that if men took a back seat and it was just women on the front lines, that this would be over overnight, right? Because they're going to find a reason. They're going to call these women out for being Christian or for being privileged or for being Caucasian or for being um, brainwashed or for any other reason. They're simply trying to find reasons to attack us, ad hominems to prevent the conversation from going. We've shared it before. We'll share it again that how do pro-lifers win? Pro-lifers transform the culture by talking to people and getting them to the conclusion that human beings deserve human rights and those human rights begin when the human lives begin. How do abortion advocates win? They prevent us from getting there. They distract the conversation. They frustrate us to the point of going home and shame us into not coming out in the first place. That's how they win. And we need to have the courage. We need to recognize that this isn't anything about you in particular. Maybe you're that person who, for whatever reason, becomes the whipping post at every single one of your local pro-life events. Somehow you seem to attract the most radical and the most vocal abortion advocates, and they try to attack you for whatever reason. Have courage. Have courage that you, if, if you can draw that kind of hate towards yourself, maybe some of your colleagues are able to have more productive conversations. And know that they win if you stop going. If you cave to their pressure, to their, whether we want to call it cancel culture, whether we want to call it something else, whether we want to um, term this shaming and forcing people of different opinion back into um, their their quiet homes and, and forcing them to not engage, that's what they're trying to do. And they're going to find a way to focus on anybody. And so you don't need to pretend that you're not a man. First of all, please don't do that. If you're a man, just own that you're a man. Um, but but yeah, don't don't feel like somehow 
um, this all goes away if if men take a step back and it's just ladies because they're going to go after the ladies just as much, if not more fervently. And so have courage, get out there and and yeah, follow in the footsteps of the people that we've talked about. Yeah, for sure. On the on the point of men uh, and abortion, I think we can agree, Cam. I know we can agree. This is something we've talked about before. It's something uh, we see on the streets. When we're at university campuses, I see this a lot and, and engage in conversation about this that men are often not men, they're boys, and they're a significant part of the abortion problem. And it's because a lot of times men see abortion as a a get-out-of-jail-free card uh, so they don't have to face the consequences of their actions. Yeah, I I remember back in 2013 when Choice USA launched this bro-choice kind of talking line and and how they tried to rally these men nationwide to support the reproductive rights of, of women without realizing that largely pro-abortion men are, are using women in the first place and leveraging abortion access as, like you said, that get on the jail free card that they're saying, oh, well, I, I can hook up with whomever I want. And you know what? I'm going to advocate for abortion so that I'm never on the hook for anything. And, and this idea that, yes, they're not on the hook for anything and who has to pay the bill when the piper plays, right? Like when for abortion, men get off free. What there's obviously there, there can be an emotional, psychological impact for men, but especially if those men are the ones pushing their girlfriends, their wives, their um, whomever it is that they've impregnated. If they're the ones pushing them towards abortion, then they don't have to live with the scars, whether physical scars from a botched abortion that ripped apart their uterine lining or or perforated their cervix or something. But they also don't have to deal with the emotional scars and the psychological scars that so often follow mothers for the rest of their lives. We work with an incredible group of, of post-abortive men and women, but largely women, um, with the Silent No More Awareness Campaign. And I've heard so many heart-wrenching stories of boyfriends who drop their girlfriends off of the abortion facility to get their problem fixed, and some of those dudes weren't even there to, to drive them home after the appointment, sort of thing. That, that this, men are very much a, a huge part of the problem. And like you said, it, it's difficult to even call them men, right? That, that these are, are boys shirking responsibility and leaving all of the weight of the outcomes of pregnancy. I, I think that it, it's a bit tough when we constantly refer to pregnancy as a consequence of, of intercourse, that sort of thing, because obviously consequences have basically a purely negative connotation. Um, and, and that's how they're used colloquially in, in society. But, but this outcome from, from intercourse and they're dumping the entire responsibility on women and, and being completely irresponsible. And, and not only that, but being downright abusive in how they coerce women into having these abortions time and time and time again, I've, I've talked to women who say, Oh, my, my boyfriend threatened to dump me if I didn't have an abortion. And he was my everything. I loved him so much. And so I went and had the abortion for him. And then I found out that he was cheating on me anyways. And, and he dumped me two months later. And these are the men that we need to reform so desperately because they're a huge part of the problem and we need them to be a huge part of the solution. For those of you who are listening who do spend time doing activism in the street, uh, I'm sure you can can relate to this. I know I've had many conversations, many days where 
I talk to a bunch of guys who are like the, who, you know, you, you talk to them, you probe, you ask questions. And at the end of the conversation, they just admit they right straight up that the only reason that they support abortion is so that they don't have to have a kid when they have sex and she gets pregnant. Uh, they don't care about her. They don't care about the kid. They're just concerned about how much fun, uh, how, how much of a good time they have the night before. And on the same day, often uh, the, sometimes the very next conversation, I'll talk to women who lament the fact that, you know, if they, if they get pregnant, you know, they feel like they're forced to get an abortion, not just because the guy is forcing her to get an abortion, because, but because they don't have a choice. They don't have other people in their lives. They know that if they don't get an abortion, the, men, the, the guy that's in their life is going to leave them. And I often will share with them, yeah, I just had the conversation with a guy like that um, a little earlier, and I've talked to, to guys like that throughout this entire day who they, they just want to have legal abortion so that they don't have to deal with the consequences. And you're lamenting that. It's, a, it's an extremely sad situation that we're faced, that they are faced with right now um, of men not wanting to raise a kid, uh, men not wanting to have a child and not wanting to take a responsibility for the child that they did, in fact, help create. Totally. And, and it sets my blood on fire when I hear about the, to put it lightly, the misinformation, but more directly, the lies and 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 just a brutal response from men for so many of these circumstances when they straight up lie to these their girlfriends, their wives, like I said, and, and say, oh, well, if you don't have the abortion, then I'm out and you'll never be able to afford um, to care for this child and you're not going to have any help or any support from anybody and there's no way that you can do this. Why do they say that? Like, why are these men saying that? Because they know that's not the truth, but they don't want to be on the hook. I remember I was out in Vancouver um, staying with a, a host family in, in West Van, um, really, really sweet couple. The, the hosts who, who have hosted me across the country, I, I cannot say enough good things about them. And the fella, he was a lawyer. And I was asking him a, a bunch of legal questions. And, and one of them was like, Sir, with, with all due respect, I hear time and again how hard it is for mothers to get the financial aid that they need. Like, like, how do we make that? How do we resolve this? How do we improve society so that women and mothers get the help that they need to care for these children? And, and he actually said, Cam, it, it's not very well known. And tragically, the media doesn't want to share this at all. But um, financial support cases are of the most guaranteed cases that he's ever encountered in court. A mother who goes to court and sues for child support, those are almost a slam dunk case, is what he shared with me. And I found that so fascinating because this is the fear that is instilled in so many mothers that they're not going to have financial support. They're not going to have um, their um, the, the father of the child involved at all. And, and he shared with me that no, this there's very very few cases in in his experience and i i'm sure that other lawyers have experienced different things and i'm sure that there's people who have fallen through the cracks um that that haven't been supported but he was saying that if ever a mother does go to court then that is basically a slam dunk and that child support is going to be provided and if in the rare circumstance the the father refuses to work that they will like basically take on a line of credit in his name to support that child. That that child is getting supported one way or another. And 
right? And and I think that that's so essential for mothers to know. Obviously, there's so much more that goes into um, caring for a child than money. We can't just throw money at the problem and, and pretend that everything's going to be easy for that that mother who's been dumped by her boyfriend because he was a jerk in the first place. But I think that can go a long way in giving a sense of comfort to those mothers, um, knowing that 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 the fathers can be involved um, at the very least in a financial capacity, and and they don't have to live with that and marry that husband for, to get that um, financial support. That you can have a restraining order against a guy and still be getting financial um, aid and and um, and parental support, that kind of thing from them. And so this, this notion that you're either going to be stuck with me in an abusive, terrible relationship, or you're never going to have any money is, is just an outright lie. That's hardcore. Yeah. Taking out, taking out a line of credit in his name, used to use that to pay for the child. But yeah, that, that's super good in the, in the, in the sense of providing a bit of comfort, a bit of ease of mind uh, for the woman so that she can, raise her child and, and doesn't have to worry about finances as much as she would have. Yeah. And, and one other thing, like I, I have it said to me all the time of, you know what, you should, you should be in favor of forcing the men to be involved. Like if, if you want to stop abortions from happening, then you should be advocating for men being forced to be actively involved, not just in a financial capacity, but in, in an even greater way to which it, it's very great for me to be able to respond with, with that common ground of like, Oh, totally. I, I am all about making um, policy and other kinds of factors that that ensure that that fella is involved and 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 definitely making that happen and and so we we still have to ask the question and and we're going to get into this this entire process of supporting these women and the legal barriers that sometimes they're faced with and sometimes the reason why they don't access that support. It's because they simply don't want their name drug through the mud, right? That, that they are worried about their reputation in, um, in their family, in their church, in their community circles and whatnot. And they're terrified of, you know, yes, I can go to court and yes, I can um, get parental support from my jerk boyfriend, but he is going to unveil all of my dirty secrets in front of the court. And I'd rather not endure that. We're going to get into that and how heinous that is, especially when it comes to sexual assault and stuff like that. And how these mothers are so frequently absolutely dragged through the mud um, in this encounter, simply trying to seek justice for themselves. But to get that, they have to be annihilated in front of everybody that they know. And so obviously there's, there's a ton of steps that we need to take, but I, I do think that it is very, very good to know that, that in a, a huge number of cases, that mother can go in with confidence that they will be supported. And not only that, that the, there is a ton of other support. Again, we're going to talk to some leaders of pregnancy care centers across the country in, in future episodes and talk really about all of the access that is available. But I know that in Calgary here, connecting with a pregnancy care center locally here, they'll be able to get you in touch with like 30 some odd different agencies that can help provide material, psychological, emotional, spiritual support for mothers um, navigating that. And so there is a lot of support out there for mothers. We want to help make that easier and easier for them to access. But I, going back to that question of, of men being a part of the problem, absolutely. We need to change that. We need to give mothers the confidence that they need to be able to, um, choose life for their child and not be coerced into what some child of a man has, has tried to intimidate them into that 
that those men, um, not that I'm advocating for any kind of physical violence towards them, but metaphorically, they need a slap upside the head to open their eyes to the fact that, you know what, if you're going to call yourself a man, it, it's more than having some tribal tattoo on your biceps sort of thing. That, that being a man is a lot more than a, a snappy crew cut and, and working on the gym six days a week. Being a man goes a lot deeper than that. And that as men, we have a responsibility to um, defend and support all those around us, whether they're men, women, or children. Um, this isn't a uniquely male calling or, or demand or responsibility, but it, it is something that, that is demanded and, and that men are responsible for of protecting people around them and, and being a positive force in society and not being a, a drain on everything and everybody. Okay, so going back to the, the the conversation about men in the movement, should men be allowed in the movement? I think one thing that we've really established, Cam, uh, I don't know if you want to elaborate a little bit more or not, but the fact that arguments don't have genders, right? We're talking about uh, intellectual uh, arguments. We're talking about philosophy. We're talking about the concept of human rights for all human beings. We're talking about human biology. Uh, so when we're presenting these, it doesn't matter whether you're a guy or a girl you can present these arguments in, in a good way. And I think th this would be a really good time uh, just to highlight our incredible team. We have a pretty phenomenal team. We have some pretty wonderful women that we work with. Do we ever? We, we work with some absolutely incredible women. And, and they not only hold this organization together, I, I'm sure that if it was Peter and I running this organization, it, it would have been in shambles a long, long time ago. Um, but we have some incredible women that are working with us and who do an incredible job of, of both, like I said, advocating for the lives of preborn children and holding this organization together. I'll highlight a couple of them. Just um, They don't know that we're doing this, but we just really want to shower them with appreciation. I, I think often of my colleague, Carolyn Slingerland, um, who's an absolute champ. She holds us together on so many of our events and, and trips and programs that we run. She's an absolute champ when it comes to logistics and visionary stuff on what needs to be solved going into different events and plans. Our Florida trip is largely looked after by her and she has massive volumes of documents that I can't even wrap my head around. She's an absolute wonder and she's an incredible advocate on the street. Not only that, I, I, I mean, I can't mention everybody, but I, um, <laughs> I could mention everybody, but that would make a really long um, episode because we, um, go, go to our staff page. Check out our, our um, go to CCBR, Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, go to our social media hubs and look at the team of women that, that we have a plethora of incredible women. You met Vanessa earlier in the podcast. We've talked to other women. Um, we've got Yvonne, who's the head of our fundraising department. We have um, Loretta, who's an absolute champ. Um, developing new strategies and and formats for us. We have Micah Rosenall, who's the best speaker um, that, that I've really ever heard. Oh my goodness, she is absolutely incredible. She speaks internationally. She's developed some of the, the most cohesive and clear and comprehensive arguments that I've heard. Justina Van Manen wrote the book. We've talked about Justina's book, Stuck, on several occasions. She is an absolute wonder when it comes to having conversations on the street, teaching other people how to have good, compelling conversations, and countless others. I, I don't mean to forget anybody, Peter, if there's um, people that, that stand out to you. I, I could keep going on down the list of Hannah and Brittany and... Um, who else am I missing? Oh my goodness. Um, Kana. Oh my goodness. Kana running all of our social media stuff. Kana's a champ. It's, it's funny. So Kana does a lot of the social media stuff and, uh, 
We often get these comments on our Instagram and on our social media feeds of the men that are running this page and how arrogant they are. And um, there's so such misogynists and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's our it's our wonderful friend Kana who's behind that, uh, providing such phenomenal content. So yeah, Kana as well for sure. Totally. And and so this notion that the pro life movement is run by old white men. Um, I'm certainly getting older. I'm certainly a man, and I am Caucasian, but. CCBR is not run by people like me. CCBR is held together by people like those that we've mentioned and countless others. I apologize to anybody that Peter and I have missed. Um, This is a movement that embraces everybody. I'm not going to go out there and I'm not going to pretend that this is an organization exclusively of of women, right? Because um, women are incredible and we have some incredible female colleagues, but we need everybody in this fight. And, And it's not fair to leave this burden on the shoulders only of the incredible women who work for CCBR. Everybody has a voice and needs to use their voice in conversation. We'll highlight some more of the incredible men. Um, actually, we can, we can give a shout out to some of the men that, that are working for CCBR too, I guess, right now, couldn't we? Uh, for sure. Let's do it. Oh, man. My colleague, Alex, who's probably listening through the wall right now, he's a champ, one of the most manly men that I know. He's got a great beard, probably even better than mine. Not even probably. It, it's definitely better than mine. The dude is a mechanic. He can fix basically anything. He's an incredible intern leader. Nick Rosendahl, our accountant extraordinaire and president of the organization. We've had Jonathan on. So many others. Tell him about Jer. Tell him about Jer. <laughs> what is there to tell? I, Jer is a phenomenal human being. One of my favorites. Unique in a, in a really, really good way. We love Jer. He just had a baby, actually. So congratulations, Jer. Also, Maddie and Kyle and Michael. Um, Maddie and Kyle. Uh, Maddie and Michael, I haven't met yet. So I'm excited to meet them in the future uh, when we're able to. Anyone else? Or are we missing any of the guys? Oh, there, there's a few guys. Sam, Blaze Elaine, the, the wizard behind so much of our strategy out in Eastern Canada. Blaze is a champ. I'm, I'm just, I'm literally scrolling through the staff page right now because I would just feel so awful if I missed somebody. Um, Michael Kana, Maddie. I'll give shout outs to, to some of the people who um, are on mat leave right now because they're, they're doing a beautiful, beautiful um, job with, with our kids at home, Rachel, who was working for so long as one of our church outreach coordinators, Megan. Yvonne. Yvonne, champ. We, we have a sweet staff. We're not just pumping tires right now. Like This is, without a doubt, the best job that I've ever worked. I've worked at some pretty cool places. I worked at a camping store in Victoria, which was like I thought was my dream job. But I, I am basically working my dream job right now with the staff that I have to work with. Um, and, and they're gracious enough to work with me. And so it, it's a beautiful, beautiful time at the CSPR offices. Oh, and Charmaine. Oh, we, we should talk about Charmaine too. Oh, Charmaine's a champ. She keeps Jonathan well-read and edited and all that kind of stuff. She's beautiful and wonderful and an excellent person to have in our Ontario offices as well. All right. As we begin to wrap up, I, I think a good question for us to ask is, Okay, so what is the role of men in the movement? I mean, we can join CCBR, which is a a great thing. I know we've mentioned the internships in the past, and we always have more women than men in the internships. We even had one internship where we couldn't find a guy at all to take it. Um, So, so much for the old white men that are running this movement, trying to get women not to do with with their bodies what they should be allowed to do. But what what can men do? Uh, How can we be examples um, both within the organization of CCBR or other organizations like it, or if we're a father or, um, you know, we work a regular job, how can we, what is, what is the role of men in the movement? Two things that I would summarize it up with is educate yourself diligently and act courageously. That be prepared for conversations and engage in conversations because real men, they save babies. 
Real men, they protect women. Real men stand between victims and the violence that is um, pending, as it were. Real men do the the dirty work, as it were. Real men do the behind-the-scenes work that protect the weak and vulnerable. Obviously, women do that as well. Obviously, children do that as well. And I'm not putting men up on a pedestal, but I want to call them out because men have been hiding in the shadows for a lot longer than they ever ought to have. We need people who are courageous. We need people who are willing to diligently prepare themselves to have effective conversations. We want to make sure that all of the men um, who are listening to this podcast, all of the men in the lives of the women who are listening to this podcast are actively involved and really fulfilling their role in society, defending the weak and the vulnerable. And I think for us specifically, Cam, both of us are Christians, um, understanding the biblical principle of what it means to be a man. I, I think one of the passages that comes to mind is Psalm 82, verse 3, which says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. And that really is a theme that runs through the Old and New Testaments, defending and protecting the vulnerable. Uh, one of the reasons that, um, yeah, people were punished throughout Scripture was because they didn't do this very thing. Um, uh, James in, in the New Testament describes religion. One of the ways he describes religion is as defending the, the widow and the fatherless. And so it, it's important for us. It, it's not just important for us. It's something that we must do. We must recognize the victims of our, of our time and do what we can to uphold their cause and to defend them. And so what can men do now? Well, support, as Cam mentioned earlier, support the woman in your life. Uh, if you're a husband, be a good husband. If you're a father, be a good father. Uh, if you have uh, a sip sisters, if you are working with women, treat them with dignity and respect. Uh, but if you meet someone who is in a difficult situation, connect them with organizations that will help women in crisis pregnancy situations or unplanned pregnancies. Uh, one of the organizations that comes to my mind is Choice for Two, a phenomenal organization that connects with people. They don't have a brick and mortar building, but they certainly do have a big Facebook and Instagram presence. And so you can reach them uh, and get resources um, from them. Uh, anything else, Cam? I, I just want to call out again, just just men throughout society that I've talked to too many men. I've, I've encountered too many couples at activism where the, the fella will start by saying, oh, well, I, I'll just support my, my girlfriend and my wife and just whatever she decides. I, I just want to be supportive of her. That's not real support. I'm going to call that out right now. That is not real love. That is not real support. Real love is choosing the best thing for the other person. And the best thing for that person is not for them to make a decision that's going to kill their child. Real men need to actually love their girlfriends, actually love their wives, actually love the people around them, like you said, Peter, because it's not good enough to simply say that surface level, oh, I'll support them, whatever, whatever they decide. I, I just want to be here for them. I'll, I'll love you, whatever. So I, think I, I hope that you do love them in whatever decisions they make, that, that we're not simply trying to love perfect women, that, that just like men, women are not perfect, um, but have courage. And take on that mantle of loving people genuinely, of encouraging them and directing them and supporting them towards the difficult but good end. Don't cop out and just say, oh, well, whatever you want, I'm, I'm happy with. Um, 
help them make the good choice. Often I've, I've spoken with women who say, I desperately wanted my, my boyfriend and my husband to step up to the plate and he refused to do so. He just stayed in the, in the shadows and just refused to actually engage. And I tried to give him opportunities and I, I tried to invite him and I, I begged him and I, I needed his support. I needed his love. I needed him to help me make the hard decision. And I, and he didn't help me. If you're a dude, help with a genuine love. Actually want the best thing for the women in your life, not just the easy thing, not just the convenient thing. The hard thing, the difficult thing may be the best thing. And so help them navigate whatever hurdles are in their place. And yeah, it can be terrifying to navigate a challenging pregnancy. I'm not saying that you need to be this stoic guy that feels no fear. What I'm saying is that you need to have the courage to go into whatever journey, whatever challenge is laid before you and your wife or your girlfriend, and you need to courageously and humbly navigate that as best as you possibly can. That is such a good word. And that's what we'll end up on. Uh, Thank you so much to everyone who has joined us for this episode. My name is Peter. I'm joined by Cam. We are the Pro-Life Guys. Do find us on Facebook. Do find us on Instagram. Check out our website, www.prolifeguys.com. As I've mentioned before, checking out Cam's bio alone is worth going to the website for. Uh, So do do it. Again, let us know where you're listening from. But before we go, uh, one quick thing that we'd like to share. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Purpose Realty. Purpose Realty is a Canada-wide real estate business that gives a minimum of 50% of net profits to non-profit work. When you sell or buy your home with them and mention CCBR, proceeds will go towards our life-saving work. Check them out at purposerealty.ca. That's purposerealty.ca. And if you're interested in supporting your business, if you want to support our ministry um, and uh, and do it through your business, do let us know. Contact us at our website, www.prolifeguys.com, and uh, let us know. We'd love to feature your business. So, uh, we'd love to get in contact with you. Uh, so do let us know. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining uh, Pro-Life Guys. Share this with your friends. Share this with your colleagues. Share this with your pro-choice family. Uh, and whoever else um, in your life there is, subscribe. And uh, we thank you so much for all your support. Peace out. And uh, if you're a man, be a man and uh, be involved in the movement to end the killing of preborn children. Take care, everyone.